Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the Sunday, March 19th slate of college basketball DFS action. We've got another day of NCAA tournament round of 32 action ahead of us. Should be a fun slate. We've got eight games going on. Um, and I got to be honest, y'all, the more I look at it, I think it's the like total opposite of the Saturday slate. The Saturday slate, we didn't have a whole lot of names at the top. We didn't have a whole lot of high-scoring games, and it ended up being the day of the mid-range play, right? Dylan DeSue going off, Tremont Mark going off, Devontae Davis, Ricky Council, uh, Olivier Conwell. Like, we just had a lot of guys that were in, like, the 5, 6, 7K range that just had the game of their lives, and if you had them in your lineup, you probably won big, and if you paid up for a lot of the high-priced options, unless it was Jaime Jaquez, you probably didn't do well. And if you filled it out with value plays that were in the 3 and 4K range, unless it was Lamont Butler, you probably didn't do very well. So just a very weird day on Saturday. I think this one's going to be a much more normal slate, much um, different slate of basketball. We've got a lot more offense going on. We've got two games over 150 and seven games over 140 in terms of point totals. And there's a lot of stars in play on this slate, and there's a lot of really decent value plays in this slate. So we're going to break it all down for you here on this episode. Uh, we're going to kind of break it up by how DraftKings has broken up their slates two, three, and three. Um, and then we will kind of just go game by game and, um, you know, kind of point out the different trends, different stats um, that you need to know for each game and who I want to play in my lineups for each game. So um, go ahead and buckle it up, get ready to set that lineup, and we're going to go ahead and get started with the analysis. But first, a quick word from our friends at Anchor. First off, just to clarify, that was a force of habit. That was probably our friends from Spotify that you just heard from. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with the analysis with the first game of the day from Greensboro. We've got Pittsburgh taking on Xavier. Ken Palm has this game as Xavier 81 to 76, which is the second highest total of the day. Now, this is a decent game to attack, in my opinion. Neither team is in the top 70 nationally in defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. So you're getting two weak defenses. And I got to be honest, y'all, kind of while I was sitting down building my lineups today, the thought occurred to me, like, why would I, you know, use these guys that are going up against tough defenses when I could just target guys in my lineups that are going against bad defenses, right? Generally speaking, bad defenses get scored on. So I definitely think this is a prime opportunity to game stack. Uh, and both of these teams play fairly small lineups with just, you know, one big around four, you know, guard, maybe small forward type players. For Pitt, Gilmer Diaz-Graham, let me try that again. Guillermo Diaz-Graham has been absolute chalk in the last two games with Federico, Federico injured. He's been great. But the problem is, I think Federico, Federico is going to be back for this game. He played 11 minutes in Friday's game, and yet somehow still Diaz-Graham had the game of his life. But I really anticipate that Federico is going to be back, and so I really wouldn't have a whole lot of confidence playing Diaz-Graham in this game. Um... I also think Diaz-Graham could get in foul trouble. Like, Jack Nungy draws a lot of fouls, and Diaz-Graham averages over six fouls per 40 minutes. So I just don't think this is the best matchup to go back to the chalk with Guillermo Diaz-Graham, and he's probably a guy that I won't be getting to on Sunday. Now, if I play anybody from Pitt, it would probably be Jamarius Burton. He's Pitt's usage leader on the season and has had at least a 24% usage rate in both of their NCAA tournament games. Now, granted, he hasn't done a whole lot with it in terms of fantasy production, but Pitt really hasn't scored a whole lot of points. They haven't scored over 60 points in either of their NCAA tournament games so far. They're projected 76 in this one, so I definitely expect that Pitt offense to come through in a much bigger way than they have so far. Nelly Cummings and Nike Sabandi have also been serviceable so far in this NCAA tournament, 
wouldn't mind going to either of them, especially in a game stack. Now, on the Xavier side of things, Colby Jones is, you know, a little bit worrisome as of late. He hasn't had four times value in his last three games, but the good news is he's still seeing pretty consistent usage. He's gotten 11 shots in all three of those games. I don't think he's a guy that you're going to see, like, a massive ceiling performance from, but I definitely think if you want to attack this game from all angles, he's a guy that you want to have. He can score it, rebound it, and assist it, uh, and he's due for a big game. Now, Jack Nunji had a smooth 37 fancy points against Kennesaw State, but what I really like in that game is that he played 36 minutes. They kind of showed that when their season is on the line, He's going to be out there on the floor, even if he is a big, even if he isn't, you know, the most mobile guy in the world, he's going to play the big minutes. And so I really think that's going to be the case again here on Sunday. And I really think it is a really good matchup for Nunji going up against Diaz Graham. Nunji's not going to be out strength. He's not going to be outsized. I think this is a pretty solid spot for him, honestly. Sui Boom for Xavier is also in play for me as well. Uh, he tends to be pretty correlated with Xavier's point total. So we're projected over 80 points for Xavier. So I think this could be a big night for Suli Boom, which he has tended to do when Xavier gets to that 80-point number. Now, Jerome Hunter and Adam Kunkel both have big games in the round of 64 game against Kennesaw State. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's going to continue or not. Both of them had a pretty high number of shots, but I really think that... They're both in play for game stacks. They're not guys that I'm going to click in as one-offs. And really, also, it kind of came at the expense of Desmond Claude. He was one of my favorite value plays heading into Friday's slate, but Claude really didn't get a whole lot of action because Kunkel and Hunter were playing so well. They just couldn't take him off the floor. Um, so I definitely think that Claude is back in play again, even though he did not play well in that round of 64 game. Hunter and Kunkel, definitely, if you're feeling game stacky, those are two guys you could get into your lineup. Next up is Kentucky versus Kansas State. Ken Palm has this one as K-State 74 to 73. These teams are about as close as you can get according to Ken Palm. They're ranked 23rd and 24th in the nation. Now, I think we could get a big Oscar Shibway game. You know, we tend to see his big games when he gets a lot of offensive rebounds. And K-State's a pretty good matchup for that. They're 219th nationally in offensive rebound percentage, meaning there's only about 150 teams that give up more offensive boards than they do. So I think we get a big Oscar game, right? And we got a big Oscar game against Providence. He had 50.8 fancy points in that first round game against Providence where he only scored eight points. You know how hard it is to get to 50 fantasy points when you only score eight? Well, the way he did it was, first off, he didn't get fouled. He didn't go to the foul line. He, he didn't attempt any free throws. And then secondly, he had 28 or 25 rebounds. 25 rebounds from Oscar Shiwai. And that was against a team in Providence that on paper is a fairly decent rebounding team, right? So I think this could be a really good day for Oscar. And I think you will get an ownership discount because a lot of people on this slate are going to look up and pay big for Trace Jackson Davis. More on him later. So I think you might get Oscar at a low ownership with a chance for a ceiling game. Definitely a good spot to play Oscar Shiwai in my opinion. Now, Jacob Toppin has had 30 fancy points in three straight games. He's also on an AT&T commercial, which surprised me because I don't know if the general public knows who Jacob Toppin is. Anyway, he's taken 29 total shots in the last two games. He's definitely a guy who has found his role in this Kentucky offense. You know, he's playing that four spot a lot, which Kansas State's going to be against Keontae Johnson. I think Toppin is a little bit more athletic in terms of quickness than Keontae Johnson is. I think Johnson has an advantage in strength. So I definitely think this is not a bad spot for Jacob Toppin. Uh, and you know he's going to be a part of that Kentucky offense. Now for the rest of the Kentucky guys, with everybody back healthy, well, Wheeler is 
you know, he might be back. He might not be back. But we've got Frederick, Wallace, um, Livingston. Like, they're all back, right? And I really don't trust any of them in my lineup except for Antonio Reeves. He's had over 26 fantasy points in his last three games. But the problem for him is he's so darn dependent on scoring the basketball. In his last three games, combined, he's only gotten seven total rebounds and three total assists. That was combined. That wasn't averages. Yes, that was combined. It was not averages. So you're looking at a guy that like all he does is score the basketball. Now the counter argument would be, well, what if he lucks his way into some rebounds and assists? Wouldn't that, you know, give him a good fancy day? Absolutely it would, but he just doesn't. Like he doesn't rebound. He doesn't get assists. He's just a scorer. So I really think he's worth a look, but probably not a guy that I'm going to be playing in a whole lot of builds. Maybe a guy that if I want to game stack this Kentucky game, he's a guy that would be worth doing it with. Now, for Kansas State, Marquise Noel was a slate winner on Friday with 52 fantasy points, just a huge night for him against Montana State. He was very under-owned in that slate, which I predicted on the Friday podcast, and so I definitely think that you're going to see people that go back to him because of that big number in the game log, but I really don't like the idea of him going up against this Kentucky team. Noel is a pretty diminutive guy, and these Kentucky guards are all 6'4 or taller. They're going to have length on him. It's going to be difficult for him to get a whole lot going offensively for himself. You're going to be more dependent on on the rebounds and the assists and maybe a few steals. So I don't think this is a ceiling game for Noel, but I still think with his insanely high usage rate, he's definitely worth a look. Probably not a guy I'm going to be getting to a whole lot. Keontae Johnson for Kansas State has been super steady. He just hasn't delivered a ceiling game in what seems like forever. He's been in between 26 and 36 fantasy points in every game in the last month. He's seen a consistent usage rate though. He's averaging about a 24% usage rate, which is about what he's had for the entire season, and he hasn't had a double-double since January. So you're looking at a guy who's just giving you consistent production, consistent production, and you know maybe do you think that this is the game for the ceiling game? I don't know. He's going to be matched up against Jacob Toppin most of the game, who he will have a strength advantage against. So I don't know if this is the best spot for Keontae Johnson, but to me, he just he is what he is. I think if you're going to game stack, he's a great option, but I don't think he's a guy that like you can plug and play and expect 40 fantasy points out of. Desi Sills is a value play that's very inconsistent but has a very legitimate upside. He's had some big games in the past this season. Uh, so again, another candidate for a game stack in my opinion. He records a lot of peripheral stats, so he doesn't need a whole lot of shots to hit value, which again is very important in a game stack, right? Now, David Ingasan has a little bit of interest for me as a value play, but I don't know, to me, it would kind of feel like I'd be chasing points. Uh, he hadn't hit 20 fantasy points in his last nine games until the performance against Montana State. Maybe if the argument is that he plays more going up against Oscar down low, maybe I get it. But I, I don't know if he's that, you know, a priority for me looking at this entire Sunday slate. All right, now let's take a quick breather and let's go ahead and talk about the first slate of the late night games. Because if you're playing the whole slate on DraftKings, it's going to include the two games I just talked about. If you're starting with the late slate, maybe you're getting a late start. Maybe you're listening to this podcast at like 1 p.m. This is where your slate will start. So let's go ahead and take a quick breather and let's start with game number all right, the next game up on the docket is Michigan State versus Marquette. This is one of the actual lower totals on the day, believe it or not, and it's 143, according to Ken Palm. Ken Palm has his Marquette 73 to 70. Now, what's interesting is both of these teams' weaknesses on the season have been defending big men, but neither team is really set up to take advantage of that weakness. So let's go ahead and talk about it. Tyler Kolick has a questionable tag next to his name on DraftKings, but let's be honest, he's playing. Like, I think that, you know, because he didn't play his normal minute load against Vermont, they're thinking that, you know, he and he did leave the game with a thumb injury, but I don't think that, you know, there's any chance he doesn't play in this game. He was also very disappointing against Vermont. If you had him in your lineups and you cash, congratulations, because that's kind of a miracle. 
But what I really think with Tyler Kolick, I don't think this is the best spot for him, honestly. Michigan State does give up a good amount of assist, and they do not force a lot of turnovers, which kind of lines up well, right? But I just think that he's kind of at a range in salary where there's so many other guys I would rather play that have more upside or have a better matchup or are going to be in a game with a higher total that I would just rather play. Now, like I always say on these podcasts, keep in mind that sometimes in DFS, when something looks like a bad play, it becomes a good play because nobody's going to do it. So maybe you might get a low-owned um, Tyra Kolek tomorrow, but he's definitely not one of my favorite plays on the slate, if I'm being totally honest. Um, game doesn't have a high total. He doesn't have like a super high usage rate. Just not seeing it, and I'll probably avoid him if I'm being honest. Now, Oso Iguodaro is a guy that we can target. He's not like a huge center. He's kind of like a four-playing center, if I'm being totally honest. Um, but he's the guy that would take advantage of Michigan State's weaknesses down low. He had a nice little 29 fantasy point performance against Vermont, and I think he could have a nice game against that Michigan State front court. David Joplin is another guy who could have success in that front court role, but he's coming off of his season high in minutes, so I don't necessarily think that that's something that like we can rely on in, you know, for David Joplin, but when he does play, he does have a high usage rate, and he does have three straight games over 18 fantasy points. There's definitely worse plays on the slate than David Joplin, but I don't know if I'm necessarily going to get there because, like I said, he just played his season high in minutes. So I, I don't think that's something we can rely on game in and game out. Stevie Mitchell is kind of in the same boat as David Joplin. He's a value play who is producing but not playing a lot of minutes and does have a decent amount of usage when he plays. Definitely, you know, not a guy to ignore, but probably not a guy I'm rushing to play. Now, Cam Jones is a guy that I like a lot, and I'm probably not going to be the only one because he randomly dropped $1,000 in his price on DraftKings overnight. And what's weird is that he's coming off of a 30 fantasy point performance against Vermont. He really took over the game in the second half, and if you were watching it, he just absolutely stood out and made play after play after play offensively. And I can't figure out why they dropped a salary $1,000. It's like they're just trying to tell you, hey, go ahead and pay up for Oscar Sheboy or Trace Jackson Davis. We're going to drop some other guys' salaries for you. I, I don't get it. So for this current salary, four out of his last five games would have been four times value at this salary. So I definitely think that Cam Jones is a very easy guy to get to at only 6500 Now on the Michigan State side of things, I'll be honest, it's really hard to get behind some of their guys because of how high up they are priced. Uh, Tyson Walker and Joey Hauser are the two that come to mind. Neither have shown a high enough usage rate to prove that they have legitimate five times upside or more. Um, like they're consistent performers, they'll get you your 25 to 30, but I don't really just, I, I don't think they're guys that are going to win you a GPP if I'm being totally honest. So I'm probably not going to be playing either of those two guys. If I do play anybody up top for Michigan State, it'd probably be AJ Hogard, who is the team leader in usage rate and he should be under owned because I don't see a whole lot of people playing him uh, he does have legitimate five times upside he has those games in his game log where he's gotten there um, so he's probably the guy at the top that I would be more interested in but still might not get there because like I said there's other guys at the top that I like on this slate you'll hear more about him later um, Jaden Akins is also a guy that I like he's been great for them lately he's been averaging a 21% usage rate in his last four games and he has two five times value games in his last five definitely a guy that you should be looking at in Jaden Akins I'm also willing to take a stab further down the board with Maddie Sissoko or Malik Hall against the Marquette front court. Like we said, they're kind of poor at defending bigs. So I think that they're definitely worth a look. They're not guys that have high usage. They're not guys that play the entire game. But hey, you know, if we're taking shots at the other team's weakness, let's go for it with Maddie Sissoko or Malik Hall. All right, now we got to talk about St. Mary's and UConn. And I'll be honest, I kind of considered skipping this one. But when I looked at it, um, there are some notable things here. 
Ken Palm has it as UConn 66 to 63, which is the lowest total of the day. St. Mary's plays at the nation's 359th fastest tempo, and they their goal at St. Mary's is to make basketball look like it did when Bob Cousy played. So um, definitely not the game that you want to be targeting. They're also eighth in defense. They play a lot of defense, and they play it very well. And their defense is also third in assist rate nationally and second in offensive rebound percentage, meaning they don't give up a lot of assists, they don't give up a lot of offensive rebounds, and so they don't give up a lot of fantasy points. So with these UConn guys, you're not going to get a whole lot of assists, you're not going to get a whole lot of offensive rebounds. So, And those are really two of their strengths. They get a lot of those usually. So I just don't think you're going to get the normal fantasy performances out of the UConn guys, right? But here's where this gets interesting. They kind of dropped all of the UConn guys in price by quite a lot. And so I feel like they're inviting you to play the UConn guys on DraftKings because of that reason. Now, when you're looking at it, like they're projected to win this game, right? And, you know, they're still the second lowest team total on the slate. Fairly Dickinson's projected to score more points than UConn in this game, according to Ken Palm. So I don't really know. I, I probably wouldn't be interested at all in any of the UConn guys if their prices had stayed exactly where they were from their first round game against Iona. Now, if I were to try to talk you into anybody on the UConn side, uh, I would say that Adama Sanogo has an athleticism advantage against this St. Mary's front line, and he's going to get you some block shots as well. Um, so maybe he might be worth a look, but it's certainly high risk because of the style that St. Mary's plays. Andre Jackson Jr. and Tristan Newton have a better chance at getting to value than probably any of the other UConn guys because they get a lot of peripheral stats. But like I said earlier, St. Mary's doesn't give up a lot of peripheral stats, so that's kind of tough. Um, but I, I don't know. If they didn't have the price drops, I would have no interest. With the price drops, I, I might talk myself into one of them for one of my lineups just because I don't think they're going to come in high-owned, and I think that the price tag does give them a little bit of upside. Now, for St. Mary's, this is their normal style. This isn't unusual for them. You look at the VCU game, this is kind of about the same point total they had against VCU, right? Now, Dukas and Saxon were great against VCU, but I think that was exploiting a mismatch that we talked about here on the podcast with VCU being poor against big men. So I don't think that's going to be the case against UConn, who's got Sonogo and Klingon down low. Logan Johnson is St. Mary's big-time usage leader. So if you're looking for just one guy to play for St. Mary's, it's probably him. Uh, and he won't be very highly owned. I think he'll go largely ignored in that 8K range. Um, now, one thing that is worth noting is, and, and I try to avoid like saying this directly on the podcast, but I, I think this one is kind of like very objective. Um, in their last game, Aiden Mahaney did not play very well, uh, and he gave up a lot of minutes to Augustus Mercialunas. So I definitely think that's worth monitoring, and Mercialunas did play well with those minutes. Um, he had 18 fantasy points in that game. So I definitely think Mercialunas has a little bit of upside, a little concerned about Aiden Mahaney, who is normally their team like second usage leader behind uh, Logan Johnson. Um, but Mercy Lunas, if he does get that minute total again, he does have you a really good chance to get four or five times value. All right, now let's talk about Creighton versus Baylor, which is a much more offensive-friendly contest. Ken Palm has it as Creighton 75-74. to 74. Yes, Creighton has the six-seed favorite over the three-seed, and I'm not going to lie. I kind of agree with it. Baylor looks kind of suspect to me. They're currently 99th in defensive efficiency nationally, so this is not a bad defense to target for this slate. I really, really like Ryan Kalkbrenner for Creighton on this slate. Baylor's bigs have not played very well lately on offensive end or the defensive end, and Kalkbrenner went off against NC State. He had 48 fantasy points in 30. 
38 minutes. That's right, 38 minutes. A center who's like a true seven-footer playing 38 minutes in a fairly up-tempo game is very impressive. So I really like that about Kalkbrenner. I think he gives you a lot of upside and still a pretty high floor in a game that's going to see a lot of points scored. I also really like Baylor Shireman. So there's a situation with Baylor that this has actually worked a few times this season. Baylor plays primarily three small guards, Flagler, Cryer, and Keontae George. And so the guy that ends up playing the three for most teams is going to have a big-time size advantage on whoever Baylor decides to throw at him, right? And in this case, it's going to be Baylor Shireman. We have seen this work out with guys like Kevin McCullough of Kansas and Timmy Allen of Texas, and they've had big-time games against Baylor because of that size advantage that they were given. So I definitely would have no problem going with Baylor Shireman, a guy who is dependent on scoring, rebounding, and assisting. He can do all three for you. Um, so I definitely think that there is big-time upside for Shireman in this game. Baylor also gives up a high assist rate, which brings Ryan Nemhart into play, for my opinion. Probably wouldn't have a whole lot of interest in any other guys from Creighton. Uh, Kaluma and um, Alexander, just kind of, you're dependent on their scoring, and you never really know when they're going to have a big scoring game. But like I said, I think this is the matchup for Baylor, Shireman, and Ryan Kalkbrenner, as opposed to Kaluma and Alexander. Now for Baylor, on their side of things, the top three are way too expensive. And I don't know why. Like, they have a combined two four times value games in their last four games. So out of a possible 12 four times value games in their last four games for three players, they have two. It's not good. Now we are getting a huge price discount drop on Keandre or Keontae George. Holy crap, that sentence was a mess. We are getting a huge price drop on Keontae George. That was better. And Keontae George burned us on Friday. I had him in a few of my lineups going up against UC Santa Barbara. And I might just get burned by him again. Like this price drop is really juicy to me. And the usage rate continues to be there. He still had a 30% usage rate against UC Santa Barbara. He just wasn't very efficient with his touches. So I absolutely get going back to Keontae George. He might burn me again. I don't care. I like the price. I like the usage. And I like the game environment against Creighton. Now for Baylor's bigs, Flo Thamba was very popular on Friday, but I, I, he didn't play very well, and I would rather play Jonathan Chamachachua. JTT, as they call him, played more minutes, and he had about 16 fantasy points, which is close to four times value. Uh, and so Baylor is going to need to be playing a true five-man to match up with Kalkbrenner, and so I definitely think that that could be JTT, Jonathan Chamachachua, giving you a good performance at that five spot for Baylor. All right, let's go ahead and right here we're going to take a break because the last three games are going to be the three that are on the late night slate on DraftKings. so if you're starting to prep for the late night games you're going to start right here so let's take a breather and then let's get to these last three games now the sixth game of the night is going to feature the florida atlantic owls versus the fairly dickinson knights who are the cinderella story of this year's march madness um unfortunately for them though ken pom has this one projected to end their cinderella run as it has fau 86 to 67 with fau being by far the highest projected team total of the day now keep in mind that fairly dickinson they ranked 361st in defense efficiency when this tournament started according to ken pom now they're up to 353rd so now there is 10 teams worse at defense than FDU, according to Ken Palm. So I guess they got that to hang their hat on. But that makes it real interesting as an idea to stack these FAU Owls, right? Nobody in this game is over $7,400. So it would make for a super cheap game stack and definitely a lot of guys that you can get exposure to. Now, on the FDU side of things, Dimitri Roberts has been a super consistent performer. He kind of hovers around four times value every single game. It's kind of hard for me to see a path for him to five times value, though, if I'm being totally honest. But I do think he gives you pretty consistent numbers night in, night out. Now, he has not led the team in usage in either NCAA tournament game, even though he is their team leader in usage rate on the season. 
Now, in their first four game against Texas Southern, it was Ainsley Almonor who had the performance of the day, uh, but he did pretty much nothing against Purdue. And then it was Sean Moore, who was the hero of the Purdue game with 32 fantasy points. Um, Cameron Tweedy also had a huge night for them. Um, he had 22 fantasy points in 18 minutes, which is what he normally does not do. Now, with this matchup against Purdue, FDU really got out of character. Like, they did things that they normally don't do. They played a lot of full court press. They did a lot of double teaming in the post, pretty much where they were just front and back Zach Eady, like, and they would just have two guys box him out as well. They did a lot of team rebounding. Um, and so I kind of think that, you know, a lot of what they did in that game was just a result of game planning against a specific opponent. So I don't know how much you can really go by the fantasy point totals against Purdue, if I'm being totally honest. But if you were to make that argument, FAU has a seven-footer of their own, and it's Vladislav Golden. So maybe they do the same strategy, but Golden is not Zach Eady. So I don't think that they're going to do everything exactly the same. And he also plays considerably less minutes than Zach Eady does. Golden only plays about half the game. So I don't think that they're, you're going to see a whole lot of the same strategies that they had in that Purdue game. So I'm not saying to just throw that game out entirely, but I'm just saying kind of take it with a grain of salt. Don't, don't necessarily expect somebody to repeat their performance from that Purdue game. Now, on the FAU side of things, um, I think FAU has a lot better guard play than Purdue, so I would not expect to see that full-court press, if I'm being totally honest. Um, and really, it kind of boils down to their two leaders in usage, John L. Davis and Elijah Martin. Neither of them got to four times value against Memphis, but I do like their chances to do so against Fairleigh Dickinson. The Memphis game kind of didn't end up being as much scoring as I thought it was going to be, not as much scoring as Vegas thought it was going to be either as the under hit quite easily. Um, but I do like their chances against FDU. FDU, like I said, three 353rd in defensive efficiency. So you're going to have plenty of opportunities to score points for Davis and Martin. And I also think this is a great game to get to value plays from the FAU Owls. Um, we know they're projected to score a lot of points and their third and fourth guards also get a lot of minutes and a lot of usage. That's Nick Boyd and Bruce Greenlee. I have no problem putting either of the two of them in my lineups as well. All right, now Miami versus Indiana, which some would call the marquee matchup of the day. I think this is going to be one of the better games of the day, if I'm being totally honest. Um, and it's one of the better games to target also, as it has a pretty high point total. Ken Palm has, Ken Palm has it as Indiana 78 to 76. And um, yeah, I'm finally going to talk about Trace Jackson Davis. I think we might declare March 19th uh, International Trace Jackson Davis Day um, if he does to the Miami Hurricanes what I expect him to do to the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, he had a massive 57.3 fantasy point performance against Kent State. Uh, he had 35% usage rate in that game. If that usage rate continues, you can see upwards of 60 to 65 against Miami. We've seen this Miami team get ravaged by big men all season long. They play four guards and then a 6'7 center, Norchad Omir, who is about as wide as he is tall. Um, super strong guy, but bigs can shoot right over him um, and rebound the ball right over him. And so I just expect to see that again out of Trace Jackson Davis. And like I said, I, I just see him having a massive performance. I think you're going to see the highest usage or the highest ownership percentage out of Trace Jackson Davis that we've seen all season long because as I've kind of been alluding to all podcasts, there's a lot of guys that are value plays that are cheaper than they should be. And so it's going to be really easy to get to him. And so if it's going to be really easy to get to him, then why would we not get to him, right? We got a prime matchup, a guy who's playing very good basketball, uh, and it's going to be fairly easy to get to him. Like, why not? Like, it's probably going to be north of 50% ownership, in my opinion, on the main slate. Now, let's go ahead and talk about the rest of the Indiana Hoosiers. Could be a good Race Thompson night. We have seen Trace Jackson Davis likes to target high low with Race Thompson a lot. And Race Thompson, Race Thompson, good lord, Race Thompson is late at night, y'all. Race Thompson has been a beneficiary of a lot of Trace Jackson Davis assists and a lot of the spacing that he creates also. He had 36 fantasy points in 29 minutes against Kent State. Uh, and I really think that 
you know, the games where they struggle are when, you know, they play teams where both of them have to be asked to be good defenders. And I don't think that's the case against Miami. Um, I think that they can keep both these guys on the floor because there's always going to be a guard that's really not a super big scoring threat who they can put them on. With Miami, I expect it to be Wuga Poplar. He's a guy that can catch and shoot, but he's not really a guy that's going to be asked to create off the dribble or really be involved on any sort of ball screens. So I think that, you know, you can see Thompson and TJD together because one of them can guard Wuga Poplar and the other one can just guard Omir down low. Now, if you're looking to stack with TJD, I've said it before, I'll say it again, Thompson, Cop, and Galloway are the guys you want as pairing partners with TJD. Cop and Galloway, pretty much just because they're going to stand in a corner and shoot threes, and some of them are going to be off Trace Jackson Davis assists. Uh, Race Thompson, we already talked about. Jaywin Hood Shafino, to me, is the TJD leverage play of the night. You look at their game logs. TJD plays well when Trace Jackson Davis has his worst games. And so if you're looking to be like the super contrarian guy, don't play TJD, play Jalen hood Shafino, and maybe it works out for you, maybe it doesn't. But if it does work out for you, you're going to be like one of the few people that does it. Now for Miami... On their side of things, they're going to need big performances out of Jordan Miller and Norchad Omir to keep pace with the Indiana, with the Indiana front court. They're going to have to get rebounds, or else they're probably just going to get run off the floor in this game. Uh, Omir was coming off that injury in the ACC tournament. He did look healthy against Drake, and he had 32 fantasy points, which is not bad at all. Jordan Miller didn't have a great game against Drake, but I'm willing to kind of forgive the poor performances against Drake from some of these Miami guys because it was just a bad game environment. Drake really kind of mucked the game up, played slow, um, you know, played very physical and I kind of don't expect that from this Indiana team I think it's going to be a much better environment for fantasy points now outside of Miller and Omir I really like Nigel Pack he's much cheaper right now than he was earlier in the season and in that game against Drake he had a really good game he had 31 fantasy points he took 15 shots had a 22 percent usage rate uh, and if this game gets to be a shootout I think Nigel Pack is the guy that you want on your lineup I also believe that he's going to be guarded by Indiana's weaker defenders um, I think he's going to probably get Galloway and Bates as his primary defense defender who are, you know, not exactly ferocious defenders in my opinion. Um, and I also think that this is a really good game to game stack in general because neither team really gets a whole lot out of their bench. Um, so I think that this might be one of the best stacking opportunities on the slate. If you go with something like TJD, um, either Thompson or Galloway, and then Nigel Pack and somebody else on the other side, I think it's really easy to build out a 2-2 and you still have enough salary to fill in with a lot of other guys. All right, the last game of the night is TCU versus Gonzaga, and it is the highest total of the day. Ken Palm has as Gonzaga 81-77. to TCU has been really weak down low without Eddie Lampkin Jr., uh, and in the words of Rick Pitino, he ain't walking through that door. Please Google that if you don't know what I'm talking about. It's, it's kind of hilarious. Anyway, that makes it a great spot for Drew Timmy. And I think, like I said about Oscar Sheboy, you're getting a ownership discount because so many people are just going to click TJD and not think twice about it. So he's also coming off of a 37.5 fantasy point performance against Grand Canyon, which is not great, but it wouldn't kill you from a guy his salary. Right, So I think that given the matchup, given the recent form, given the low ownership expected, Drew Timmy is not in a bad spot for this slate by any means. Now for Gonzaga, we also saw Julian Strother and Anton Watson have ceiling games against Grand Canyon, and they did it because of their rebounding. TCU is not a good rebounding team without Eddie Lampkin Jr. on the floor, so they could be in line for another good game. I'm not expecting another ceiling performance, but I definitely think that the two of them could easily get to 4x value. The pathway is there because of their rebounding. 
Now, none of Gonzaga's three-point guards, Hickman, Smith, and Bolton, really did anything noteworthy against Grand Canyon. It's probably a stay away from me. Like, I genuinely can't figure out which one on any given night is going to be the one you want in your lineups. Um, I wish I could say that I could, but hey, I, I don't know everything. I'm willing to admit that. So, that situation is probably a stay away from me. Unless you're getting game stacking and you're filling it out with multiple lineups, I think you could kind of do a one-of-each scenario because they're fairly similar in price tag. But I, I just... If you can avoid it, why not? Like, I, I don't see a reason like to have to play a Gonzaga point guard, so I'm just going to stay away from it. Now, on the TCU side of things, I've mentioned here on the podcast that the big Mike Miles Jr. game was coming. What I did not know was that it was going to be against Arizona State. He had 40.5 fantasy points in that game, um, and which is his biggest performance since coming back from injury. And he is still under $7,000 on DraftKings. Makes him a super affordable play, in my opinion. And I really think that it could happen again. He is absolutely their guy offensively. Had a huge usage rate in that Arizona State game. And Gonzaga is 75th in the nation in defensive efficiency, which makes them a solid team to target guys against. Now, also worth noting that in the three games without Eddie Lampkin in the lineup, Chuck O'Bannon Jr. has been really good. He had 34, 22, and 25 fantasy points in those three games. He's definitely worth a look, in my opinion. Now, TCU has also been playing super small ball without Eddie Lampkin in the lineup. Uh, they've been playing Jacoby Coles at the five and Emmanuel Miller at the four, uh, and both those guys are about 6'7", and I don't think 6'7 is going to be able to guard Zet, or, uh, Drew Timmy. So, um, I really think they're going to try to match size. And if they do match size, it's going to be with Xavier Cork. He is super cheap on DraftKings. Uh, definitely worth a look if you are um, thinking that Drew Timmy is going to do well against the starting front court, then you're probably going to see increased minutes for Xavier Cork. All right, so that does it for the Gonzaga TCU game, and that does it for the Sunday slate. It is the last slate of this first week of the NCAA tournament, which is always my favorite time, like my favorite week in, in college basketball. Uh, and so it's kind of bittersweet, but it definitely gives us one last opportunity to play some DFS and make some money. And then we get the smaller slates with the best of the best teams next week. So it should be a lot of fun when we get to the Sweet 16 starting next Thursday. Um, I will see if DraftKings and FanDuel do offer NIT contests next week, because if they do, I will be back here on the pod talking about it. And I will be talking about the golf event next week, the WGC match play. So if you want to be notified when new episodes drop, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Um, you'll be notified. And while you're there, please rate and review. It really does help me out a lot. As I mentioned before, I want to become the biggest college basketball DFS podcast in the world. Uh, and our listener numbers have been higher than they ever have been uh, for this first week of the NCAA tournament. So I really do appreciate you guys listening, and I would really appreciate your rating and reviewing of the podcast. All right, so that does it for this episode. Um, for most of you guys, I'm assuming I will see you next week for the Sweet 16. Um, but other than that, best of luck to all you guys in your DSVS endeavors for this last day of college basketball this week. Um, hope you guys have a lot of luck. Hope you guys, um, I hope I gave you plenty of plays here in this episode that you can use to win some money. All right, that does it for the episode, guys. Thank you for listening, and I will see y'all again next time. Mm -hmm.